Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, thank you so much for this glorious morning that we've come together, Lord, to celebrate the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for all that comes with. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take this time this morning and that you would just use it to speak to each one of our hearts, Lord. Let us be that fertile soil prepared to hear and receive the seeds of your amazing message, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to be looking at Luke today and Matthew today. So if you want to just start by turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, go ahead. If you don't have your Bible with you today, Cesar and Jack have Bibles. They will put a Bible in your hand. Just put your hand up and they will give you a Bible. And if you don't own one, guess what? It's Christmas. Here's your gift. You can take your Christmas gift. Go ahead and take that with you, and you could turn on over into Luke chapter 1, and we'll get there into a few minutes. But I want to talk to you a little bit about hope. What is hope? What does it mean? If you ask the average person what hope means, you would hear something like, it's something you desire to have or achieve or that you hope will happen, but that you can't be sure that it will. Well, based on that definition... I think that I never exercised more hope than when I was a kid at Christmas time. <laughs> every Thanksgiving, I would go to my grandparents' house, and every Thanksgiving, she would pull out the Sears toy catalog. Because kids back then, you couldn't get stuff tomorrow. You had to order and wait six weeks. And so we would get the Sears catalog, and she would say, okay, now go through and circle everything that you want. And we were like, oh, man, and we'd like, circle this and circle that. And, and, and we would say, man, I circled all these things, but I hope I get them. And so I would, like, I would be like, man, am I going to get these things? And she goes, you never know. And that's the problem with worldly hope, isn't it? You, you never know. If you're good all year, who can do that? Dana, who can be good all year? I would circle Atari 2600. Who remembers Atari 2600? Came out in 1977. It was like, the, like kind of the first home gaming system. Uh, it, and it was horrible graphics. But it was an easy controller. Do you remember the controller? A stick and a button. I could manage that. Have you seen controllers these days? It's like you've got to push this, pull that trigger, turn this and do this. And he kicks. And I'm like, that was easier. <laughs> Do you remember how much an Atari cost, though? In 1977, an Atari was $199. Wow. If you were to buy that today, in today's dollars, $750. So guess who didn't get an Atari in 1977? <laughs> As a kid, hope was fulfilled by, and it was determined by circumstances. Could your parents afford it? Was it even available at the time? Just because I hoped I wanted it, because I wanted it, doesn't mean it was even available to go out and get. You remember Cabbage Patch Dolls? Everybody wanted that. You couldn't get them anywhere. People killed each other over those things. It was circumstantial. The fulfillment of hope was circumstantial. Circumstantial. 
based on the world's definition of hope, which is something that you really desire but can't be sure that you will ever get. But biblical hope is something altogether different. According to God's word, hope is a confident expectation of something good to come unaffected or beyond your current circumstances. We're promised something good is to come and we believe it will come to pass. Hope. As I read in the Christmas story, there's a number of people who receive a promise of something good, actually the best thing, and they embrace it and they believe it and it changes their lives despite their current circumstances. That's hope. So let's look at some of these folks. Look with me into Luke chapter 1. I know this is, you know, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. That's probably a little bit before what you were expecting, but it's really, it's a really good part of the story. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There were in those days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. You don't have to understand in that culture, Elizabeth being barren would have been looked down upon about, of, of all the other women. And so her circumstances, although it says that they were both very um, the people of the Lord, they were both righteous and blameless, which meant blameless wasn't they never did anything wrong. It just meant that no accusation cast against them would stick to them because they were um, just being about it. But, but she was barren and they were old and they had no children. So their circumstances were tough. And it says so that, uh, so it was. While he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So you understand, there were so many priests that they actually were assigned different times. And so this might have been his one time in that maybe several years that it would be his turn to go into the temple and burn incense. And so I'm sure he was very excited about it. It says, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And I can imagine what that would be like, can't you? You're in there and you're very excited and you're doing the, the duties that you were called to do. And then all of a sudden, there's an angel. And not just angel, it's Gabriel standing there, the messenger of the Lord in the temple. And it says that fear came on him and he like fell down, like, like he gets weak. And I think probably I would too, don't you think so? If I was standing right here and all of a sudden Gabriel appeared by the back door, I'd be like, ah. <laughs> The angel appeared to him, and, and, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. <laughs> you know what I have a stop right there. Your prayer is heard. What prayer? <laughs> Maybe along the way, he was like, Lord, it would be great if we could have a son. It would be great if we could have a daughter, if we could have a child. But now he's well advanced in years, and I wonder what prayer is God is he saying? The prayer that you prayed 45 years ago has been heard and will be answered. Yeah. 
And he says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at this birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready and prepare people prepared for the Lord. There's a promise that they're being given. Yes, they're being given the promise of a son, but you understand that John, their son, is actually a smaller piece of the greater promise that's being made. So your son will be the one who is going to come and prepare the people to receive the one, him, who is coming. The greater promise that John is a part of is what we're talking about here today. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. That's how you want to say it, guys, actually. You want to say, well, I'm old, but my wife is well advanced in years. But you see what he's saying to the angel, the angel who appears to him that he's never seen before and comes in and says, you're going to have, your wife is going to conceive and you're going to have a son. And, and essentially what he says is like, I'm going to need some proof that this is for real. That's what he says. How shall I know this? He's saying, um, I'm going to need some, some proof here. And um, Gabriel says, and the angel answered and said, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> it's like Gabriel is almost caught off guard by saying, how many times has this happened to you? <laughs> I'm Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of the Lord. Gabriel, Gabriel, I think he's just, you know, sometimes it says that the angels see what we do and they just kind of, well, it doesn't say roll their eyes, but I think that's what they do. They, they, they kind of go, they do have the advantage of, they do stand in the presence of the living God, right? Um, and so Gabriel comes down, he says, I, I, I've just given you amazing news. And, and by the way, I'm an angel who just appeared from thin air and, and you would like more proof than that, more proof. So he says, but behold, you will be made a mute. So, so here you go. You will not be able to speak until the day of these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And then it says the people were waiting. They're all, the people are waiting for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple because they know about how long it should take to light the candles and all this. And Gabriel's still in there, or Zacharias still in there like, man, I wonder what's taking him so long in there. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And, and, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. <clears throat> I just have to ask, what did he do to convince them that Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Lord, had just appeared to him in the temple and told him that he and his very old wife were going to conceive a child? What hand gesture is that? Because he, they come out and he clearly is able to convey that something. Does he just come out and like, <laughs> what could it have possibly have been? He's just like, okay, three or <laughs> Somehow they got it. Uh, then it says, um, so soon after the days of service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days with his wife Elizabeth conceived... 
And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dwelt with me in the day when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among the people. Do you see her circumstances were that she was looked down on by all of the other people because she was barren. And now she says, The Lord has granted me this, so now the, they will, the reproach will be taken away. Do you want to really know, like, but do you understand Elizabeth's conception wasn't immaculate in the way that Mary's was? This, it was a miracle because both of these two people had to come together and they were old, clearly it says that, all right? But it wasn't an immaculate conception as is in the case of Jesus, but it was miraculous in that it was foretold that it would happen and it was beyond the normal childbearing age mostly for them. And so we see that... Uh, So we see them given a promise of hope. Yes, a promise of hope in that they were going to have a son, but that their son would be the one who would prepare the way for the one who was foretold to come. You know, every Jewish mother at the time was, look, was hoping that their son would be the Messiah, the one who was to come. So the angel comes and says, he's not going to be the Messiah, but he is going to be the one who will prepare the way for the one who is to come something greater and beyond your immediate circumstances, Elizabeth, your immediate circumstances, Zacharias. This is well beyond that. In fact, it's in spite of what you've got going on here. I'm giving you a promise of hope that is to come. Now let's look at um, Mary 26, verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Do you understand? Do you remember if, if you were here last night, one of the things that we talked about is the desire for God, of God for us to have a humble spirit. How he goes to the shepherds uh, in the middle of the night and says to the shepherds, the lowliest of the low, and announces the birth of the mighty king of the world. And why would he do that? Why would he go to the lowest of the low, the lowliest people, and announce such a great thing? And I have to believe it's because they had nothing to boast of themselves. In fact, they had nothing to get in the way of them doing what God was calling them to do, which was to go out and announce the birth of Jesus Christ. Nothing to get in the way. The shepherds weren't going to say, oh, well, you know, we're pretty busy out here. We got all this going on. Or, you know, that job doesn't seem as important enough for me. Isn't there someone else you can give that to? He goes to the humble and says, the humble will do what I ask because they have nothing to boast on that's going to get in the way. He goes to Mary. Mary says, he comes to her and says, you're, you're favored, you're honored among women. And Mary says, she's troubled by that saying. And she's like, me, really? Me? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and, he shall, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary says to the angel, 
How can this be since I do not know a man? Now, first of all, you read that and be like, well, isn't she kind of saying the same thing as Zacharias? I mean, shouldn't Mary been struck mute also? But actually, in the grammar, what Mary is, is not saying it in the sense of, I need proof. She's really wondering, how will I become pregnant if I've never known a man before? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One should, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, he says, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. Poor Elizabeth. She just keeps getting reminded that she's old. <laughs> and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She's literally saying the lowest of the servants, that's who I am, to the Lord. Let it be according to your word. You know, it's such an amazing answer that Mary gives because right in that moment, you know, Mary is betrothed to be married. She is right on the cusp of starting her life. She must have been thinking about plans for this, plans for that. We're going to have a place together. We're going to grow a family together. And all of a sudden, Gabriel comes down and says, oh, well, God has a different plan for you, Mary. And all those plans that you had, they're at the very best going to be altered immediately. And you could very possibly die by accepting this. Because if Mary, when Mary was found out to be pregnant, either by Joseph or anybody else in the community, she could have been stoned to death in that moment. And she knows this. And Mary says, let it be so. Let it be so. I will put aside all of my plans that I've been thinking about and thinking about maybe since I was a little girl for the sake of what you are calling me to do. And so Mary has some serious, she's got some circumstances going on here as well. She's now betrothed to be married. Betrothed, in case you don't know, is pretty much like you are married to, she was married to Joseph without being married to him yet. It was a year-long process where they were uh, engaged, but in order to break that, if they needed to break it, it was like getting a divorce rather than just breaking up. It was a serious, serious relationship. Um, And so Gabriel comes and says, but in the midst of it, you're going to become pregnant and everyone's going to wonder how, but you got to trust. You got to trust the Lord, Mary. And she says, I will trust the Lord. I will hold on to the promise of the hope that you've just given me of something greater than what I had planned or even what I have going on right now, my own circumstances. I will embrace the promise of the hope that you've just given me. Let's look at Joseph. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You understand, he had the option to call her out. He was now going to also be very embarrassed over this whole situation. But because he was a just man, he said, you know what, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to marry her, um, but I'm going to do it real quiet so that nothing really happens bad to her. But... While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Boy, he's busy this time of year, Gabriel. 
saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to to do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in, in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took and commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name Jesus. And so Joseph, you understand, Joseph's got plans. Joseph's within, uh, a, uh, a, got circumstances that he's also involved in right in this moment. He's working, he's preparing a house for his new family, he's preparing to be married, and all of a sudden he finds out that she's pregnant, not by him. And that's a really tough circumstance to be in to find out that the woman that you're about to be married is pregnant by someone other than you and then he receives the promise of hope greater than his immediate circumstance and what does he do he embraces it each one of these people receive within their circumstance a hope of promise beyond their circumstance and they embrace it and their lives are changed Turn back to Luke 2. Luke 2, verse 8. It's the shepherds. They were in the same country, shepherds living out, their living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You understand these, these shepherds, again, we talked about this last night. They, have, they are the lowest of the low, not respected, disrespected, accused of being criminals, too, too uh, unclean to worship in the temple, not considered worthy to be even uh, witnesses in court. And God comes to them through an angel. And then, meh, it doesn't say who that angel was, but can you guess who it probably was? <laughs> anybody? Anybody have a guess? And he comes and he gives them within their, what is their circumstance? It's not great. They're shepherds. They have to live out in the field. Nobody respects them. Nobody really likes them. They get accused of being thieves. And yet God comes to them with a promise of hope, of the promise of something greater than their current situation, their current circumstances. And you know what they do? They embrace it and it changes their lives. You see, it says, and so when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. That seems so mild of an answer. They're, they're like, we should go there. Come on, come on, let's go. It says that they went in haste. That's just Bible language for they ran there all the way. They just was like, come on, leave the sheep. 
they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which were told to them concerning the child. They saw the coming of Jesus Christ, the promise of something greater. It wasn't just the promise of a baby being born. Many babies were being born. In fact, it said, this was a sign to you that you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that's pretty much every baby, but this one will be lying in a manger. That's on the unusual side. But it wasn't just that you're going to find a baby who was born. It is, and he will save his people from their sins. That's the promise that goes beyond their current circumstances. That is hope in something greater than anything that you've got going on. Change their lives. They went through the whole town, knocking on doors, shouting to people that the, the, the one who has come to save us and forgive us ours is he was born right down the street. Go. Go. I wonder if anybody went. I don't see that anywhere, but I wonder if they're like, you know what? I suddenly am going to believe those shepherds, even though they are thieves and, and not worthy of... <sighs> Sorry, I'm getting a little heated up in here now. All right, let's look at another guy, Simeon. Luke 2, chapter, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the, con- the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's waiting. He's waiting for something. God says, you're going to see something before you die. So he had received a promise uh, earlier on, but now he's going to see the fulfillment of some of that promise. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You imagine you're just like every day, you're just waiting. Can you imagine? Hang on. Can you imagine you're, you've, you've been told that you will see the return uh, of the Lord's Christ? How did he live? He was with expectation going to the temple waiting. Guess what, gang? You've been given the same message. We will see the return of the Christ, or either he'll come and get us or he'll bring us home. How do you live with that information? Are you living with expectation that Simeon had? In fact, Simeon, it says that is so, it says that, So he came by the spirit into the temple. So the spirit leads him into the temple and says, oh, here it is. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the, and the glory of your people, Israel. It's, he comes in and he says, Lord, you told me that I would see your Christ. The Spirit has brought me in. Here he is. He's almost, like, it's like he's saying, I can die now. I can die now. But he had a promise of the hope to come. He embraced it and it changed his life. All of these people had different circumstances going on. Some of them were better than others. But all of them received the same promise of hope, the coming of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And it changed their lives despite their circumstances. 
amazingly, we have been promised the same hope, the coming of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and eternity with him in heaven. That is the truth. It is a reality in spite of your current circumstances. I'm going to tell you a story. There was a poet. His name was William Wadsworth Longfellow. You ever hear of him? He lived from 1807 to 1882, and at the time was considered America's poet. Now, this was a time before film and TV and smartphones and Google. And so people were inspired by the words of the poets. In fact, he wrote a poem that you might be familiar with called The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, and it inspired the entire nation. Through his words, he could inspire people. And he was a professor, and he traveled, and um, he had a very good life, and he had a pretty great family for a time, and his circumstances were really great. But then he had some tragedy in his life. His first wife passed away in childbirth. He married again and had six children. And everything seemed great, and he was writing poems, and he was celebrated in this country as an amazing uh, American poet. But then tragedy struck again. And one day, while his wife, Frances, was writing letters and sealing them with sealing wax, do you know this is the first time that it occurred to me that in that song, Puff the Magic Dragon, sealing wax wasn't sealing wax? It was sealing wax. If, that, if, if, that, if you didn't realize that until just this moment, you're welcome. <laughs> As she was sealing letters with sealing wax, some of the wax dripped on her dress and she caught on fire. She actually ran out of the room she was in because her children were in there. She ran into the den where her husband was and he jumped on her to try and put, by this time she's engulfed in flame. He's trying to put her out and in the process he's severely burned as well. Ultimately she dies the next day from her burns. He's so badly burned himself that he can't even go to her funeral. He completely stops writing, falls into complete despair. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, this also happened right around the same time as the Civil War. And his son, Charlie, was so anxious to join up that at 17 years old, without telling his father, he joined the Union Army. Now, through some relationships, Henry was able to convince the, his, his uh, commanding officers to make him uh, an officer that would allow him to maybe stay out of some of the battle. But Charlie so badly wanted to be involved in the fight that he actually got himself put into a battle and was severely wounded. Thankfully, it wasn't a mortal wound, but it was one bad enough that it sent him home to his father and his brothers and sisters. And so it was while he was in recovery from this wound that his father sunk even deeper into depression and despair, just engulfed by his circumstances. It was that next Christmas morning that Longfellow woke up and heard the bells that ring in Christmas morning. I'm gonna, I want to read you his poem. While I read it, you're going to hear that he goes from the high point to a low point back to a high point. Okay, listen, it says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill 
to men. And, th- and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon shuddered, thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As if an earthquake rent the hearthstone of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And in this poem, you hear the hope that he has in the Lord's presence to produce peace on earth and goodwill in the hearts of men. But then it's stripped away by the painful circumstances in his life. But the bells on Christmas morning remind him once again that God is not dead, nor does he sleep, and his hope is restored. Now, I know that some of you have had a hard year or years. I know that the world around us can feel dark and heavy and hopeless, and the headlines can make it seem desperate. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He actually says that in the scripture. He says, do you believe this? He says, everyone who believes in me will be with me in heaven forever. Then he says, do you believe this? Do you? The promise we have in Jesus, the, that your sins are forgiven, and that the, you have a hope of heaven is greater than your circumstances and can change your life. But maybe you just need to be reminded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. His arrival here, his life and his death, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this time of year, especially when even even folks who never come to church come and hear the message of hope that goes beyond their circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that each one of us would remember the reason we celebrate Christmas each and every year. And Lord, not just now on Christmas, but now every day from this day forward. I thank you, Lord. I pray for anyone here who who doesn't have the hope that is promised to us. They've not embraced that, Lord. I pray that today would be the day that they would embrace the hope of Jesus Christ, the promise of heaven. Thank you, Lord. 
love you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.